Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. Tony Miller is the head of marketing for WW Weight Watchers and is one of the most open and inclusive people I know. He wears his heart on his sleeve, which makes him, I believe, an inspiring leader. Today, Tony shares with me how it's important to provide people with support as well as information to enable them to make positive change to their physical well-being and in doing so, their mental well-being as well. Together, we talk about his journey in becoming the dynamic leader and I think rather wonderful person he is today. As a younger boy, he didn't embrace his sexuality and he felt unable to articulate this. He really began to understand himself better in his 20s, but he feared rejection, particularly being a disappointment in his relationship with his family and friends. So when he came out, he was 35. Everyone's journey is, of course, different, and Tony remains proud and confident in his own. I'm really reminded in this conversation of Reset the Podcast to celebrate everyone's difference. Everybody can be a healthy body, and everyone can feel their authentic, energetic, best self in and out of work, but they just be, need to be encouraged to do so. If you enjoy today's conversation, please like it and share it with your friends. Thank you. Tony, hello. I don't need to ask how you are because you're working abroad today, aren't you? Where are you today? Absolutely. Um, I'm in Ibiza, working from wherever uh, our policy. Um, and so um, in Ibiza. Now that's week. Do you know, it's so interesting. We do lots of work with TUI in particular, and they have a policy so they can really work a number of weeks abroad. Yeah. Year, um, particularly because as a, as a travel company, that's a kind of great thing for them to do. Um, what What's your policy and how's it working for you? Yeah, well, it's, you know, being in a health and wellness uh, company as well, it's about trying to look after our people. And we have a work from wherever policy. And um, it's kind of in in context to where you live, because in the States, you know, with, with the 50 states, it's, it's a lot easier to do that. And people can work where their families are and friends are. But, you know, we can take advantage of being so close to Europe to be able to do it um, every now and again. Uh, so yeah, it's a nice little uh, perk to be able to pick up and and work from a different location. It helps, you know, your mind, body and soul. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a lot about, actually, what I thought we might do today is, it was, is I'm going to ask you lots of the questions that I get asked about that okay. I don't know the answers to do with well-being. Um, and you know, at WW, you have a particular approach. So we're going to cover that. But let's, um, I first like to talk to you a little bit about you, because um, 
you're American. Yep. Um, where were you born? Uh, I was born in New York, just outside of the city, and lived there until um, I was seven years old. And as a family, we moved out to Seattle, Washington, and raised in Seattle. So finished schooling and university in Seattle and started my first job there. And then, um, and then you've been over here a long time, haven't you? Oh, actually, yeah. you came on a, a kind of agency exchange and then you stayed. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think... So often we meet Americans that come over here um, and then they're only here for a sort of two or three years. But the ones that stay like you um, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about just seem to then be almost, you know, so American, but almost more British than we are because it's so lovely because you love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So basically out of of, of university, um, I stayed in Seattle, got my first job in a boutique agency that focused in the charity sector. So we did all the strategic planning and uh, uh, for not-for-profits. And um, they were growing and they opened up a London office and the London office was growing and they um, asked if I wanted to come over and help uh, grow and develop their London office. Um, Initially, probably for two years, uh, I think it got set out to be, and that was 23 years ago. So (laughs) a a long two-year stint in the UK. But um, like you said, I think I was one of those where I always knew I was going to live abroad. I think my family, I was brought up in a family that looked and beyond its borders and always kind of appreciated things beyond the United States. So I always had this idea that one day I was going to move somewhere and it was, I didn't know where, but when this job came up, I'm like, that that's my ticket abroad. Good job. Never looked back. Yeah, which is so lovely. And, you know, you are one of the kind of, uh, well, you, you're an, you're not quite a native digital marketing expert, but you are a digital marketing expert. Yeah. You were at Disney for some time. Um, so kind of in many ways at the forefront of what was happening in marketing and particularly digital marketing. Um, what was that like? It's such yeah. an amazing brand, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I felt it was a great experience to be there at that at the time I joined. I was there for five, just over five years and um, I came in from agency, so I had up until that point just been on the agency side, working with multiple brands on not just their digital strategy, but consumer experience from beginning to end and how to use data. Uh, and the opportunity at Disney was really um, to to help digital transform how they looked and used, used their data uh, to ensure that there was a con- connected experience across they're multiple brands and they're multiple franchises. I mean, if you think about it, everything is so matrixed and so siloed there. Yeah. And each department was doing its own thing. And we were building out an, an integrated proposition that needed to bring all that together. And how do we kind of fuse people's experience, whether it was first through uh, a park experience, how do they then experience yeah. the rest of what Disney has to offer and the magic that is there uh, through digital and the same if you came through a, a store purchase or even uh, uh, watching, you know, your first um, uh, show in the theaters. And so it was really bringing all of that together uh, and and building out a MarTech um, stack so that we could join the dots um, across each and every yeah. line of business. And not that many people. I think I guess more people have gone from agency side to client side. Um, as I was call it 
on the side of the angels. And I think it's been quite interesting because this week Gareth Turner wrote something in LinkedIn because he's gone from being a client at Weetabix and, and previously yeah. at Heineken to, to not being, to being a consultant and was sort of lamenting the fact that people don't want to listen to him speak at, at conferences anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I, I mean, it, to me, that's so obvious. You're kind of either on the side of the agencies or you are an agency you're on the side of the angels as a client or you're a consultant in the middle um and actually i do see for for some particularly agency people who've gone client side get very big-headed about it um because everyone's kind of wanting you particularly when you're at big brands like disney and perhaps at at ww um you you are the most unbig-headed person that i know and so much fun but do you do you occasionally kind of get a bit full of is it easy to get a bit full of your own self-importance because everyone else uh, kind of treats you like that? Maybe, yes and no. And like you say, I try to remove myself from that because at the end of the day, I just want to do good work and I want to I want to collaborate and work with people and get good stuff out the door. And in order to do that, you ha- you can't be big-headed and you have to kind of allow for vulnerability, allow for um, ideas to come from anywhere and be... And be open to uh, being challenged and admitting you're wrong, you know, regardless of how senior you are um, or not. And so I try not to. I think if I look back, I think Disney was one of those places where you could easily get a bit big headed because it's a it's a lovely uh, conversation starter um, at a dinner party. And it's just, you know, one of those, it's the biggest entertainment company in the world and it it draws a lot of um, attention. And I think you could get used to that um, and allow that to get in in the way. But I kind of try to ensure that it's about the work and I try to keep it, keep that separate. So, yeah, yeah, I can see that. So um, you then went to WW and, you know, people that might not still know. In fact, it's become Weight Watchers again now, hasn't well, it? it? Yes, it has. I'm in now fact, confused. It is W. Yes. Try to, it's not a, a rebrand back to Weight Watchers. It's using the WW coin to kind of signify its modernity and bringing Weight Watchers firmly back into the the name uh, to establish our heritage because we've been around for 60 years. And so it's really trying to blend those two because I think everybody knows, knows us as Weight Watchers. And when you would say WW on its own, people would be like, who? And then so it's one of those things where they work in in um, tandem with each other, in, in in combination, not against each other. So you can, it, they, they both land well. So let's talk about all the things that I get asked about, or I'm curious about to do with healthy eating, diets, all of that stuff. Because yeah. um, I, I now find I'm so worried about upsetting anyone, about talking about weight, let alone anything else. Um, it's a bit like loads of other things now. I'm never quite sure what I'm allowed to talk about or not, but there is loads of evidence, and we've seen all the stats to say there is a massive obesity problem. Um, why? And it sounds so simplistic to say, why are people getting bigger? Why can't people do something about it? But from your perspective, and you see all the data. What is it? Why, as a country, why even as a, as a world, but let's particularly for the country, why are we? Why do we have this obesity crisis? Well, it's a number of factors, and it's not from I think from one particular area. It's a combination of 
living, uh, cost of food, how food is made, things that go into it, um, as much as people's attitude towards it. I think there is a lot of people that will comfort eat. There's a lot of anxiety and stress out there. And the first thing you potentially go to is food and drink. And so I think we find food celebratory, you know, cause it's, it's, it's having people around. It's, it's, it's um, enjoying food and enjoying life that is alongside it. Uh, but it's also done in times of stress and depression and de- despair, which the wellness side kind of like um, comes in. So you, that this is where the holistic wellness blends in with it. You can't just look at it in isolation of just food alone. You have to think about everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just over the years that so the combination of of food and diet and and how food is processed on top of lifestyle, convenience, fast food, stress, mm-hmm. anxiety, depression. And, and and enjoying and socially life has compounded into what I would call another pandemic that we're in because we've done a lot of research and we looked, looked into it. Two thirds of the adult population are either overweight or morbidly obese. And um, it's going to get worse. I read an article the other day. I think it was by 2030, eight and 10 people are going to be obese. I mean, eight and 10 adults. That is shocking, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. shocking. Um no, I think I've um, I've talked to you about it before, but my former partner was too big, drank yeah. too much, ate too much, and actually, when he went on the WW um, scheme, yeah, program, program, what was really helpful was because you know we ate really healthily, and I and I do, and you know, yeah. there's lots of reasons why, but you know, we eat fish, we eat vegetables, we do all the right things, and then I'd be like. I'm like this, and he wouldn't be. And then what I noticed was, one, he would drink too much, but also he'd like eat food that he never really thought about. So it's almost like he slept walk through the day, eating certain things that he didn't even kind of notice. And yeah. so when he did WW, he literally, one, he went, oh my gosh, look how many points my drink is, but also he could adapt to that. So it was quite helpful. But other things like, because you have to write it down when he sneakily ate some sweets, which again is fine. I don't mind, but um, he would then have to write them down. So then he'd get to the end of the day and go, oh, so my healthy eating that I thought I was doing, I was, but it's all the other stuff I'm eating. It's the added bits. It's the added bits. So is that why WW works? Because certainly for him for a period of time, so helpful i think what it does is it simplifies the complexity of what people kind of have gotten their heads around what diet and restriction and what i can eat and calorie counting and all that done it breaks it down to your point you have to like uh scan in we would try to make it as easy as possible the foods you eat or, or input in from a series of foods and it automatically assigns it a, a a value a point value based on your age your sex um how uh, how much weight you do want to lose and how much activity you do but it it triggers the mind to then see everything for its true value um and then it's, it's an eye opener it's an eye opener and i and we always recommend when you first join don't change anything to that point you need that moment you need to get used to the app you need to get used to the program and put everything in for that first week like you normally do. So then you can then figure out how do you need to adjust 
what you eat and how much you eat because it's all about we try to teach healthy habits and it's yes. so it's not a restrictive diet it's a it's a behavior change in the sense of how you how you look and how you look for and choose food yeah because you see i think the behavior change thing and we touched about on us on this earlier i mean this sounds like an advert for ww it's not meant to be i'm just no, no, I'm no, 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 no. Yeah. but i think what it does is it teaches a little bit about one of the challenges and we see this a lot so you know to your point i have had a sugar addiction my whole life yeah and i know where it comes from it comes from my mum one who always gave us some sort of pudding not kind of like you know massive great puddings but we always had a pudding yeah always had chocolate as a treat yeah. i had donuts after i've been surfing so there was always a balance which is you can go surfing to have a donut you can you know well done you've done your homework to have a piece of chocolate and because yeah. it was really slight it wasn't for me about a weight thing absolutely and particularly as i've been on my cancer journey you know sugar is really bad for me and once you get you know over 50 it's definitely not great for me yeah so i ended up going to a hypnotist and he's been brilliant and i've seen him twice and he has it's been the only way i could do it that is brilliant um but do you talk about this is is because i think those behaviors particularly the ones we've had from when we're very young are very difficult to break aren't they oh they are and i think it is and it just made me think about my own uh relationship with food as well in the sense of i was always taught to eat everything on your plate that you don't yeah. leave the table until everything is gone and so you carry that with you your whole entire life and it's not until you now really and and, and weight watchers comes into that in terms of how you get your relationship with food but also portion size to really understand what is a real portion size versus yes. what we think maybe you know traditionally is what we've had as a portion size and learning that actually it's okay to leave some food, you know, on the on on your plate if you're full. It's like listening to the mind and signals too. And there's techniques we've got part of the program. And again, it's not an ad for Weight Watchers, but there there are weekly programs and weekly techniques that are are part of the content that you can read and consume. And if you go to a if you go to a coach, they will teach that um, about how you manage stress eating. So if you actually normally go towards sugar out of a just a natural habit how can you start to to understand that and maybe choose an apple instead of um you know a, a chocolate yeah it's interesting because one of the things i again learned from 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 ww but also just reading around was there are certain occasions for me that trigger all this behavior yeah. and one of mine was friday nights sitting down having a glass of wine which meant i had some chocolate in front of the tv at the end of the week usually when I'm on my own and it's because when I was first divorced the kids alternate weekends would go to their dads yeah I would have an awful Friday night and even then actually when it became quite a nice Friday night um that's what I associated with it so but it would start kind of early on in the day which would be you know it's Friday so I'm going to have coffee yeah caffeine definitely does it for me so I'm doing ca caffeine then I'm not and and the whole thing and then I'd watch a sad film and then I'd be depressed. <laughs> so actually, the whole thing was terrible. So I had to, for a period of time, stop all of that and change my complete routine on a Friday yeah. night. And I know a lot of people we talk to, you know, the pub is a trigger or particular friends are triggers. I mean, I've always done afternoon tea with my girlfriends. Yeah. And I, again, I had to say for a while, guys, 
I can't do afternoon tea because I love it so much that I'm really trying to not eat sugar. So can we just do something else? Yeah. It's like actually putting in swaps, you know, for something yeah. that still feel, you yeah. still get the, the connection in the community that you want, but maybe over something else. And I think it does take that um, extra step and awareness, but um and that's what the community that is there for to kind of get support with, with people around you and stuff too. My big, my not a big thing, but I love sauce. I love ketchup and I love mayonnaise and I like to dip my fries in it and put it on my burger. And, <laughs> and I've actually learned to uh, swap mayonnaise out for Greek yogurt and chipotle sauce, mix that together. It gives me the same sensation and taste, but with less calories and actually better for you. So it is those kind of little things that it doesn't have to be drastic changes in your life. It's 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 little baby steps that you can kind of in, um, introduce that doesn't feel like you're missing out, but you're actually having a different relationship with food. I completely agree. And then the other thing, which I, funnily enough, I was talking to a client about this this week, which I find, again, so bizarre, but I've been through it myself, is that in our heads we all want to carry on eating and sort of doing exercise really like we were in our twenties. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, and, and this particularly fine, I find this and they go, okay, so we then go on a diet and then we go back to eating like we are in our twenties again. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and to me, it's fascinating because we don't go, Oh, look, when I started work and I was doing that really kind of shit job, um, because I was learning and, you know, I had to work all the hours and I was made to do all the proofreading and all this kind of stuff. I don't go, oh, do you know what? I can't wait to go back to that. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, when you're in that situation, you go, oh, when I'm, when I'm the boss, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But sometimes, but somehow with food, it's a little bit the same with exercise in a slightly different way, I think. We go, oh, no, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's yeah. keep going back to eating you know, a Mars bar a day and all this stuff because it's okay. And and I don't, I don't get it. Why can we do it on one thing? No, and not the other. It yeah. is so interesting. I still sometimes like, I feel like something, you know, I, I feel 20, you know, still feel young. Uh, and I eat like 28 still sometimes. It is odd that, isn't it? Because I think, and, and as we go through our decades, our bodies naturally change. And, and that is the one thing we should connect with it. And this is, you know, where we you know, try to help, People understand body um, shapes and, and and sizes and changes and be able to accept that. But actually then, to your point, figuring out relating the changes in food uh, that need to happen alongside that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? So I think I think it is both of those things. And then um, and then I think there is the other side of this, which is about being OK with our bodies. Yeah. So, you know, I am, I'm not saying this happens to all women and I know it happens to men as well, but the kind of obsession yeah. about being fat is as equally as bad. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder what we do to be okay and comfortable with our body shape. And, you know, as we get older, it changes as well. But equally, not that let that go to the place of going, okay, it's all right to be unfit. Because yeah. for me... It's a, it's a subtle difference, sorry. It's subtle difference. Really, yeah, it's a really subtle difference. So I have no problem. I mean, I love looking at different size models, different size people, because we are lots of different sizes. 
But there are big people who are really unhealthy and there are small people who are equally unhealthy. And how do we get that into the whole? Well, interesting. We're in, you know, we constantly have a talk about that because you're right. And I think a lot of the younger audience have a real aversion to to diet and weight loss because it could bring on a whole host of depression and anxiety and and, um, problems. But we also, like you say, on the other scale, as we just talked about, two thirds of the adult population is obese. And so we ha- and that's not healthy. And it's a restraint uh, uh, on, you know, NHS and services, and it leads to all sorts of disease and other things. So we, we have to be able to find uh, a way to still talk about it, but in context to what it really means, because we've always kind of, we've never said we're a diet or restrictive. We always but we get lumped into that because we're about weight loss. And I think we have to be unashamedly um, okay about weight loss. That That's what we are here to do. But it's the scale in which we talk about it. It's healthy weight loss. And what we've introduced for us is love how good healthy feels. And it's trying to convey a feeling that you get when you're healthy. And actually, to your point, everybody, it comes in all shapes and sizes. And we need to celebrate people's differences and body differences and size differences. But as long as you're on the healthy side of that size difference, then we're okay. And that's, I think the message we're trying to get across is we're about weight loss. We need to help people lose weight, but in a healthy, informative way that's going to last so that when you hit your goal weight, you stay and you you yes. don't actually do the yo-yo dieting. You actually yes. are confident yes. enough to know what you can eat and how you need to eat in order to stay within your goal range. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the biggest conversation I have with people is just, you know what, y- y- you can't go back. This is a change forever. And it's somehow, you know, that's really hard for us to cope with. We don't really want to change. But again, you know, it goes back to work. If somebody says, right, you know, well, you know, this is your first CMO role rather than a specialism role. And somebody says, right, you know what, that's it. Now, then you can go back and you can keep going back. Well, you don't want to go back. You want to keep, you know, progressing. Keep progressing and going forward and kind of. And and, but then again, you know, when we're talking about exercise and health, uh, and eating, we don't always do that. Well, Lorraine, I mean, uh, Lorraine Kelly's been a really good um, yes, yes, example. Tell me about her. She's amazing, isn't she? She's amazing, and she she is so authentically herself and so real and relatable. She's been brilliant um, for us, and I think we've been brilliant for her because she's got back to. I mean, it was she gained weight. So again, you know, we've all talked at length and to death about COVID. But it was during COVID where, you know, as normally and people have done because of the situations put on a lot of weight. And she came to us because she wasn't feeling herself. And it was more about that feeling. It's that it's it's that she lost who she was because she was bigger. She was sluggish, you know, just different. And it affected not only how she thought about herself physically, but also kind of her mental state, too, in terms of her well-being um and health her mental health i think and 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 so she came to us and we were like absolutely we'd love to work with you and um she dove, dove right in and literally she has said herself that she's got her va va boom back she's back to kind of who she was and is and her energy she feels better she you know looks better and it is that it is about transforming people to a state in which they actually 
feel really good, both internally and externally. And to your point, it's going to, you're going to want to be motivated to keep it. Yeah. 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 What's your view on calorie numbers on menus? Interesting. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction in the sense that it makes people aware of what they're eating. I think it kind of gives you that, oh, wow, I didn't know my full English had 1200 calories in it. That's that's three quarters of what I should be eating in a day. So I think it does a signal to it, but it doesn't do the whole picture. So I think there's there's a problem in it in the fact that then we get so hyper-focused on calories. And I think when you get focused on calories, that becomes obsessive and that becomes an issue. I think it's you have to look at everything in, in it, all the macronutrients that are around there, how much fiber you're having, how much good fat versus bad fat, how much sugars in there, um, salt, etc. And I think that's where, again, on the WW program, it does all of that work for you. It takes into calories, but it takes into all your macronutrients and brings it up into one number. So, you know, actually based on your your points value and what you're eating, you're getting your balance of of all your macronutrients and it's not just on the calories. So I and I get where the other side's coming from, where I think people can read into it and it could cause people concern. But I I think we have to be aware of it. I think we have to take control back and understand if we're going out what how it's made and how much calorie it is so that we understand to 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 our discussion earlier health to yes. understand where where on the side of health um is it yes i think we've got we've got quite a long way haven't we to to just relearn all those things i mean you know we've, we've only just got to your five a day you know yeah. we're talking to dr julia jones and she's saying well actually you need to have 32 different types of food in a week it's not just about your five a day you know it, it, it's yeah. more complicated but in other ways it's so it's so binary you know yeah. the stats are so binary if we're gonna have eight out of ten people who are obese we've got quite a big mission we to do back to, to where they need to be you know for all of us i think and it's going to take more than just um companies like ours i mean there's enough you know um uh, to go around i think it, it, but you, we need to kind of work with food manufacturers and distributors to understand what gets put into what gets put into some of this some of the food in the first place and how and how do you allow for good food to be affordable for 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 uh people that can't afford you know to put food on their their plate we need to we need to, as a society, really look at how we balance balance that out. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think we can see it even now with the downturn in the economy, with the, you know, the, the real kind of utility crisis that already people are talking about, well, you know, they can't eat as healthily as they were before yeah. because they're going to have to change where they shop, but most importantly, the kind of things they're buying. And, yeah. you know, the facts are, is that on the whole, food that's perhaps not so good for you costs uh, less than food that is particularly yeah. healthy and lovely and tastes yeah. great. And even if you're trying to, you know, make your your money stretch further, people there will be families that are going to reach out for that type of type of food. Um, unfortunately, too, for you know, and it it, it doesn't help the situation. Yeah, yeah, it goes around, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, 
Thank you for that, Tony. I, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things. Um, you know, we we've talked, and in fact, you were, well before we go into that, I, want, I just want to talk about uh, when you got involved in our uh, festival, our well-being festival on the beach in Cornwall, because you came down and you spoke on the stage. We talked about some of these sorts of things, but also I think you know you took part in the beach yoga, the swimming in this lemon freezing sea without a yeah. wetsuit on. Um, it was great fun. And, and for me, I loved seeing, you know, lots of different people, all experienced who'd come from a music festival, but actually got a whole load more. And you must see this, you know, we saw it at the festival, but you also see it uh, when you bring communities together. Uh, what is it about doing exercise, doing stuff together that makes us just be a bit braver and a bit more happy at, at, at doing those things? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, well, endorphins for one, I think once you start moving your body in that way, it just starts to kind of give everything moving and you got you know, more oxygen coming in and you just are starting feeling kind of uh, better elated. But I do think you, the community piece is important, too, because I think when you're doing it with a group of people, you're not alone and you get more you get motivated by. Um, well, if they can do that, or if they can bend that much further, or if they can kind of go, you know, that much quicker, it's like, I, I, I can, I can push myself. And so I think you, you help each other and you spur each other on. Um, and I think the, 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 the festival was brilliant because it, it, like you said, people, you know, were attracted to go because of the lineup, but they actually got a bonus of actually partaking in some wellness, uh, while they were enjoying the music festival. And it's a great combination i think it's like when you can bring two uh things that bring people together together it just is a win-win yeah absolutely it was great fun wasn't it um i want to also talk about being open at work you know we talked you talked a little bit earlier on about being vulnerable bringing your whole self to work um we've seen a lot greater focus on the lgbt plus community as yeah. well as just general diversity in the workplace um you you're a gay man yep um and you're to me quite open about that yep. um I, I just wonder how difficult has that been during your career when when did you first did you know you were gay when you were very young did you did you say you were gay when you first started working how did that no it was um it was a real journey for me actually I didn't really I didn't come out until uh I was 35 uh so quite late in life and quite already well advanced within my career I think I knew I, did I always know I was gay I didn't know I was gay or I didn't think I could articulate that when I was growing up and going uh into high school and university and I think I, I, I felt that I just hadn't found the right woman. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that I, I just, the person is, she hasn't, she hasn't, um, but it didn't come into my life yet. And so I think it was um, a mix of that and trying to, and then when I got older in my early twenties and really tried really understood kind of my feelings and my thinking and kind of, you know, the, uh, the uh, really understanding that I was actually gay I didn't want to come out um, because for fear of rejection, I think for fear of people not wanting to um, uh, spend time with me, uh, potentially, I think you work things up in your head. I grew up in a, you know, in a, in a, a Christian um, uh, home and, 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 my, and, and which was great, but I think that you get, there is, 
there's certain things you kind of think about that you as you grow up and in, in the era and the generation I grew up that um, it was wrong. And so I think I always kind of had that and subconsciously in the back of my mind. And I didn't want to disappoint anybody more than anything. I think I didn't want to be rejected or I didn't want to disappoint anybody if they found out. And so it took me on a journey uh, to kind of get to the point where I was um, confident enough to actually be okay with being gay and being proud of being gay and so when I finally came out all my friends were like oh thank god for that like everybody <laughs> knew it was almost like every which, which was really lovely in some aspect because I knew I was gay everybody knew I was gay but they were waiting for me to right. tell them yeah. and I think when yeah. I did finally say it everyone was like oh god thank thank god for that and let's move on like you taking the like elephant out of the room like we can just which was really lovely. And and yeah. obviously when you end up doing it, um, you kind of think, oh, why didn't I do it earlier? But there's a time and a reason for everything, for everybody's journey is different. And so I think, so it was then at work then, you know, um, I, you know, I was really proud of it and lent into it and really wanting to kind of help others potentially in that same journey and, and, and not just gay, uh, being gay uh, and, and openly about that, but anything for that matter. Um, I think you said it. I think you have to be to be your best self. You have to be your authentic self, and you have to be that at work. and And I think it's about understanding people and their motivations and what brings them up. Truly understanding that, you know. And and once you know that at work, teams gel better. Work uh, that you produced is is better. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a journey, but one. Um, that I'm proud of. Yeah, I should think so, and you should be. And so, when so you were 35, 35 is quite old, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How yeah. how were your family? Were your family the same? Did they go? Oh yeah, we we kind of knew we were just waiting for you. It was yeah, it was very interesting. I was I I, I remember it quite vividly. My parents were living in Pakistan at the time, and so I went to go visit them, and I literally, um. It, I was there for two weeks and I was going to tell them at the beginning because they were coming back that summer to via London to spend time with me. Right. And by this point, I was with my partner <laughs> already. So I'm like, I have to tell them because they're going to like meet David. And um, um, I we sat down and I waited until the very like two days before we left. And I'm like having a, like a motivational talk to myself in the mirror. I'm like, you're you're freaking 35 your old man like sort yourself out you can have this conversation um so i sat them down and we had a chat and i and i just said look you know i'm really excited for you to meet my friends in london i'm excited for you to spend some time and i just wanted to let you know that um i'm i'm gay because i wanted it to just be a, a natural fluid conversation yeah. they were both really lovely my mom uh put her hands on my knee and she says you know you we, st we still love you and um and then she went straight into so who is he so she knew there there was someone there was a reason why I yeah. said it and then my dad said thank you very much he's like your mother and I often wondered we never wanted to assume so thank you for taking the elephant out of the room oh, <laughs> and it was really lovely and then that yeah, yeah right. and then my mom launched into she's like does work know and do they treat you right and I'm like oh. yeah yeah and yeah so how was it at work have you ever had a situation where you feel like you have been discriminated against at all you know what not 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 overtly I'm, I mean I'm potentially behind my back or something like that that I still don't know up to this date but I don't think so I think um 
I've I've always luckily have had a really positive opening open and welcome experience. And I think partly back to the beginning, I kind of put that down to kind of who I am. And I feel like, you know, that just I'm you, you what you see is what you get. And I feel like um, people respect that. And I ha- I build good relationships that are based on hard work, results driven, trust, um, support. Um, and so, yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't personally seen it mm. myself. And have you found, because I find you as a leader, you are very open. You're very, um, you, you're very inclusive. Uh, you love people. Mm-hmm. And it, it always feels like you kind of, even when the job is hard and, you know, yeah. okay, working for WW for the last couple of years during this time is really hard. Um, you know, I feel like you're a very positive type of person. Do you find that that enables you to create better teams? Yeah, I do. I think I feel like, you know, throughout my career, I've been there, been brought in to do transformation, and a lot of that transformation is about building and rebuilding teams and structures and stuff like that. And like you say, a lot of and sometimes it doesn't. It's not nice conversations to have, but I think in the way, in the manner that I do it, it's respecting people at the end of the day, and it's actually you know, and and really making sure that comes through and actually, again, going back to understanding motivations and what drives people and what makes them tick beyond the reason that they are there and the, and the degree and the experience that they bring to the table. There's other factors that make up who you are and those are just as important. Um, and that whole emotional intelligence is really key, I think, for us as leaders to really understand people's reaction or non-reaction to kind of understand how you bring people in, or get more out of people. And I feel like I've always been quite conscious about that and have used those skills to really help build, you know, hardworking, productive, you know, best in class teams to deliver results for for businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope yeah. that I hope it comes through. And so thank you. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I've um, yeah, yeah, I do. And I, I wonder, this is a question I often ask of leaders is other and is there a particular skill or quality that you see in other people Hmm. that you would really like to have yourself yeah um I mean going back to the the queen actually and it may be a bit trite to say this but I think that her consistency and discernment and just unwavering um ability to lead regardless of what's happened like if you think of all of the ups and downs and peaks and valleys that have happened there just always has been this this seamless kind of like consistency and I feel like sometimes I I wear my heart on my sleeve and I feel like I can people know when I'm excited and know when I'm really mad (laughs) or disappointed and I feel like I wish there I mean as a, a trait that I could actually be a bit more um discerning sometimes and just a bit more maybe consistent in that I guess yeah that's a that's a trait that I think um is a that makes up a really good um leader yeah a bit more like the queen (laughs) a bit more like the queen yeah uh and then I thought just finally I I, we need to talk about Jack yes oh Uh, my god so for those people that don't know Jack is is basically a dog but to everyone else it would be a child and we see this quite a lot with people who don't have children usually. Um, 
But Jack is is like your and David's child, really, isn't he? Oh, 100 percent. And I feel like there is a little human inside him. When you look into his eyes, I think he he really knows and he really wants to talk to you. Um, he was our lockdown puppy. We got him in the first lockdown one, first lockdown. Um, we had talked about it for years, but always said no because our schedules and being busy and not having the time. And, and David was the instigator. He's like, right, it's lockdown. We're getting ourselves a puppy. And I'm like, all right. So he did all the hard work, um, found him and we fell in love. And literally Jack Leighton Miller is our is our child, as, as crazy as it sounds. But he's part of the family. And I think he's the one thing that kept both David and I sane through lockdown. I think the fact that we had something other than us to think about and, and talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Really and now and now you're both back at work. Um, who looks after Jack and how do you <laughs> organize this? Because honestly, this is a conversation we have in workshops so often. Oh my God. So we can't come to the office because they've got a dog now. I'm like, yeah. do you know what? You know what? You've got to figure it out. Right. So we've got it figured out where um, he goes to doggy daycare one day a week. <laughs> so on the top end of our road, he goes to socialize with his other friends. So he, so one day a week, we um, he goes there and then I work from home Monday and Friday, so I've got him. David works from home Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then on the th- on the Thursday he goes to doggy daycare. So we, the David gets a you know a day off there too. So we've kind of made it work. We've made it work. And then sometimes, um, oh, this is going to sound so ridiculous too, but like in the evenings if we're out uh, for longer than uh, you know four hours or so, we'll we'll find a friend that would love to take care of him, so he has company. Um, he's not alone. <laughs> we laughed about. Oh, now it's sounding really sad. Poor, our poor dog Beanie. She's a little bit more robust. She's not a. She's not a lockdown dog. She'd be like, "Sorry, what? You've come to see me after three hours? I don't need you, thanks." Yeah, exactly. But, I know we need a little bit of more Beanie and Jack. So, like, maybe as he gets older, we'll be able to kind of let him. He is. He is truly a lockdown dog. Yeah, he always wants to be by our side. <laughs> But I'm missing him this week. I don't have him. David's yeah. gone. Fair. Gosh, gosh. So is David not with you? No, unfortunately, he's he's working. So I'm here with a, a friend's um, 50th. And ah. so there's a group of us here. Um, but David, um, he's the agency he works with is um, uh, a fashion agency. And so he's doing um, a, a, some of the big wedding shows right now. So he's, he's full on. So ah, didn't take the time off. Oh, well, look, Tony, thank you so much. Um, I, I wanted to particularly talk about healthy eating, uh, well-being, how it was all interconnected, because I think it is something that we're we're increasingly focused on, but we get asked about it a lot. And I think yeah. it's really good to hear a different perspective. Um, I'm a big fan of WW because I, I just like, yeah. I like, as you know, I like, I think you measure what you treasure. And yes. whatever system you use, measurement is sometimes really, really helpful. And certainly behavior change does make a really big difference. Um, but also, thank you for sharing a little bit about you. And I, I hadn't realized I'd forgotten it was 35. Yeah, it's, it's, I know. You know, I, was- I think in our brains now, we go, oh, it's fine. Everyone is OK. Yeah. But it's not. And it's really hard. Um, but I love the fact that you talk so openly, but also you encourage really open teams. Um, and still, again, my my view and what I see so often 
is because we don't have open enough leaders. We mm. don't have teams that are really diverse and that people really feel they can be themselves and their best selves. Yeah, their best selves. It's yeah. been a pleasure, um, Suki. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thanks, Tony. See you soon. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. <laughs>